0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy. This is your host, Menion, also known as Rob. Okay, so I've got a bunch of stuff for you today. Um, first up, there will be some updates from my um, campaigns, both ones that I'm running and ones that I'm playing in. And after that, I've got a few call-ins. And then finally, I'll have some more updates on games that I'm playing. Now, the reason for this, of course, is that uh, there's a slight delay in getting some of this uh, material out to you because I decided not to include the first bunch of updates uh, in the last podcast episode uh, because the episodes get so long uh, and instead I've put them all together here and hopefully it will be not too uh, not too boring and um, well with a bit of luck there'll be a lot of flavour there, uh, things of interest to somebody. So without further ado, let's get get going. d d update. See if this is recording properly. I think it is. D&D update. So today is uh, a day off for me. I've taken a day off because there's really not much to do at work, which is always a bit worrying. But I've got the day, so I can just do this. It's the Tuesday morning, and um, it's interesting because rain season has already started. Now, rain season usually doesn't start until I don't know uh, mid mid-June and it's mid-May and it's already started here uh, which is a record it's never been this early in in history recorded history in Japan so uh, what does that mean does that mean we'll have a, a longer and hotter summer who knows um anyway it is wet but there is a break in the rain so I've decided to exploit that opportunity and get out go for a walk uh, you know, um, that's the kind of thing I do with my days off. Really, I don't usually do very much. Um, so it's it's um, cloudy, but bright, very bright at the moment. And I wanted to first talk about the Dungeons and Dragons campaign that I do with my home group. Um, we're still online uh, due to the fourth wave of COVID nineteen still still here and vaccine roll being extremely slow <clears throat> we're still online um, and uh, we did the first session almost a month ago really and as I previously mentioned we'd had some problems but had got back together and the last session we did in fact was not a session well it was a session, it was a, a drinking session so we all sat around and, and uh, took some time talking about things, you know, work and uh family and uh the games that we're buying and things that we enjoy and and, and uh you know uh, ironed out a lot of the a lot of the breaks in communication that we've been experiencing, particularly since moving online, uh what, nearly two years ago? A year ago, it's a year ago, isn't it? It's not two years ago, but in the second year. And uh, but anyway, back to the session update. Second Real session um, was not a problem at all. Um, in fact, I would say it was a success. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the system and um, that 's five e and the uh, adventure is kind of fun because at least the first episode is broken into these little scenarios that you can slot in in almost any order and uh, And, you know, uh, you can challenge the players, and in fact, they were quite challenged. So we're coming up to a road now, so I'm going to have a break. Okay, so away from the main road now. That should be a little bit better. There's not too much wind to uh, distract. But here comes another van, just as I said it. (laughs) Things were okay. (laughs) Um, Where was I? Yeah. Um, talking about this the session right so yeah um, it, it's interesting one of the reasons we're really doing it is for me to overcome <laughs> it's a very very uh, selfish reason of uh, for me wanting to overcome my um, my uh, uh, prejudices against the, the 5e system that are, were brought about by um, you know the experience that I've the very limited experiences that I've had with it Um and so, yeah, anyway, yeah, um, the, one of the, um, um, preconceptions, I suppose, that is, or assumptions that are aimed at 5e is that it isn't very dangerous, um, and that doesn't really, isn't really fully borne out in, at least at low level, um, let me explain some of the things that occurred, so, <coughs> um, not to give too much away about the, uh, The adventure for those who haven't played it But um, the party have to go down this tunnel And And the tunnel is uh, Is occupied By two swarms of rats Regular rats but swarms And so they they Ended up getting into uh, Conflict obviously with these rats Perhaps there were ways to get around it It doesn't really matter They got into conflict And um, (coughs) <coughs> the druid uh ironically was the first to be uh like injured by these rats, so they swarmed over him, or one of the swarms did, and uh took a chunk out of him and the, the first hit was a was a crit. So he has nine hit points. And um but he took uh let's see well a swarm does 2d6 damage, so that's 4d6 on a critical hit. So 46, I mean, it, it maximum even, well, it doesn't have to be maximum damage. It's quite easy to go over the, the um, two times your hit points limit that signifies your character has been killed, you know, one-shotted, killed him in a single hit. Um, luckily for him, he only took 12 damage uh, only. So he was knocked down to zero hit points. And uh, in the next round, he failed his uh, um, death save. Uh, but uh, after that, one of the characters um, tended to his injury successfully and um, stabilised him. So, um, uh, and, you know, they fed him some some berries and stuff. We've got a little bit more n- noise now. We've got the guys out with their, their strimmers cutting back some of the vegetation on the side of the river, so I'm just going to pause for a minute. That's nice, eh? The, um, the workers there pause for pause for us to go by, you know, which is quite kind, you know? We don't have any vegetation spattering up our legs, wet, sudden vegetation. Um, so where was I? I think I'm going to just cross over because I don't like walking behind folk when I'm talking in English. Uh, I'm crossing the bridge now, going across the river. It's not a big river by any means. It's uh, it, you know, it shrinks. This is a floodplain at the moment. It's um, a, you know, it's a small river. It's a a wide stream, if you like. <coughs> I'm just running across the road. Right, right. So yeah, he he was uh, force fed while unconscious. He was then force fed by the wizard um, some good berries. Uh, or just one good berry, but that was enough to bring him up to positive hit points. And voila, there you've got your, your uh, instantly recovering 5e character. Um, and some may say, well, hang on, you can do this with uh, healing spells in, in uh, early editions. Well, you can. You can. Um, the edition that I'm most familiar with is 1st edition. And even if you're healed up to positive hit points through magic, if you were knocked down below zero... You are uh, incapable of taking strenuous strenuous ac- uh, activity for a week. So, yeah, there there are similarities, but if you if you do play by the book, and many of us do, not necessarily rules as written, but yes, um, you know that 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 being able to go down to minus hit points in AD&D comes with a price. Uh, the price being, yeah, uh, recovery times. Uh, time being a a really important resource in any should be uh, an important resource in any uh, form of D&D, but particularly in A D and d recovery time, and then of course if you get knocked down below minus five, I think it is um, the wounds are much more serious, you know um, it's left to DM arbitration, but usually it's something like a uh, a terrible scar loss of limb, things like that uh, coming with some kind of uh, penalty. But um let me get back to five E. This is not a an attack on five E. Um really an observation from where I'm coming from. See how um where am I coming from? So yeah I, I come from that background and that's really important for me to um to recognise the differences um uh, and f- as features of the different games, the different editions. So, so right so what did that show me? It showed me that um, uh, well, you know, if somebody makes all their saving throws or they're given a little bit of um, uh, magical uh, attention or healing they're able to spring back and instantly uh, instantly come back into the uh, action which is not a bad thing, you know. Um, But it also shows that that these characters aren't as tough as you might think. Um, the, the use of criticals um, in later editions, I think from, uh, officially from 2nd edition onwards, uh, really does swing the game. It does make the game quite swingy and dangerous. Um, because anybody can roll a 20. <laughs> and there's always a 5% chance of anybody of any skill level uh, hitting that 20... Five percent chance uh, of an unmodified natural twenty um, and uh, score in a crit and of course in five e the the hit dice of the monsters are increased, and uh, as are the uh, damage rolls uh, of the monsters so um, not all of the monsters, but you know if a swarm is doing two d six damage well that 's pretty bloody impressive you know um, that 's on a par with a uh, some seriously large monsters so um, yeah, uh, yeah in conclusion um, 5e appears to be at least um, at early levels and if you're playing it um, strictly without fudging dice uh, quite quite dangerous and that's something that appeals to us or appeals to me <laughs> I don't like you know playing games that are that um, are based on the idea of d- jeopardy and, and risk and combat, but all the odds are skewed towards one side. Now, the odds apparently are skewed somewhat in the party's favour in 5th edition by design. Um, but, you know, uh, and unless you're carefully balancing out everything... Um, the odds are that there's always this risk, risk of of uh, death in any encounter, where the players choose to use belligerence over diplomacy, and that's, to me, is really important. Um, I think the use of belligerence, the use of uh, violence, um, should be exciting. Uh, because, not because you're, you're causing pain and harm and you're imposing your power over others, your will over others, um, raw power, but because, um, because of the danger that that is uh, you know, uh, part and parcel of, of, of taking that road. That's, uh, dodging folk, a lot of old pe- older people out today because, you know, sensible people work and uh, here i am younger not young individual uh, moreover a uh, person of clearly uh, foreign descent walking around like i've got nothing better to do which i don't ah the birds are singing that's how we should be Um, where was i so so uh, that's really a very long-winded way of saying that. Uh, so far, so good. Um, there's a lot of excitement. I think the players are really engaged with the game and the system. Um, they they enjoy what they can do. Um, I'll give you a quick example. So one of the players is playing a wizard. <coughs> he's playing a wizard, and he's got a familiar. He's been using this familiar very um, cleverly, you know, because... Um, it's, it's an owl he sets it up in the air now the owl has the chance of of um, aiding you or others um, every round i guess as an action and if they aid you, they give you advantage uh, to a roll that's my very simple understanding of the of the the rules here uh, now the owl is doesn't have a very high ac it's not really a combo. it can Engage in combat, but it's, not, it's only got one hit point or something, so it's not really ideal. But one of the big differences is that um, you're able to recast the spell. Uh, um, rewind. If the familiar is killed, that's not the end all, you know, uh, and be all of things because you're able to recast the spell and summon it back. It simply blinks out of, uh, you know, the prime material plane. Uh, and goes back to where it was summoned from. Uh, And you're able to, you know, um, conjure this creature back at a later date, the same creature if you wish. Um, And it comes out no penalty uh, beyond the components. I think there's a slight component cost of a few gold pieces or something that needs to be used. Um, So all very good Uh, um, in... Again, important comparison First editions find familiar um, The loss of your familiar the, the, the addition of a familiar Comes with many benefits uh, You know, some of which are um, Carried on in 5th edition But it comes with quite a A risk, because if you lose Your familiar, you actually lose Permanent hit points, which you can Not regain um, You can get more hit points as you go up level But you can't, you can't excuse me You can't, um Ever regain the ones that you've lost. Um, so, you know, that's uh, 5v again playing loosey goosey with the with the, uh, the genre, with the established um, rules, and rewriting them in a way that is more fun, I guess, uh, and less uh, less tragic for those those who choose to play um, such characters. So. It has this ability to distract and, and give you advantage, which is very useful, you know, in combat and other things. And also, you know, you can concentrate and see through its eyes and use its senses. That's a tree frog. I don't know if you can hear that. Yeah, tree frogs. Let's see if I can see them. I can never see the little things. Yeah. Are they? Uh, you can see through the eyes and so on, which is a massive advantage. So he, the person playing the wizard is sending up his, his uh, owl into the air and using it to scout around um, and try to, try to you know, um, make sure that there weren't any bandits and uh, kobolds hanging around because they're playing at nighttime. The owl can see and it can go right up in the air, a spot where the en- enemies are. And the party can then base their movements on around that which is a massive advantage in in uh, in an outdoor um, situation where you know stealth and uh hit and run are really important although all really exciting stuff anyway i think that's probably enough for now um but the game goes on uh, so the third uh, proper session has already been scheduled for uh, just under two weeks from uh well, two weeks from last sunday and uh, it's all very cool stuff. It looks like the swallows have built a built nest under the bridge here, because I can see like three or four or five of them sort of flitting back and forth under this bridge. Uh, you know, in the five-foot uh, space between the the river and the the, the lower uh, surface of the bridge. It's amazing how these how they build their nests and that. Oh, another update this one is about dcc so we played our dungeon crawl classics uh, game this was the well the third or fourth session all all told probably maybe the fifth session actually um but the the third session if i remember correctly after um we managed to get to first level you know the the first original sessions being the the meat grinder, or whatever they call it, the funnel. So, um, quite an interesting setting, very, very um, old, old school, and it was a mix of fantasy and sci-fi mixed together in a nasty pulp. See what I say? And so you, yeah, um, it, was, it was quite fun. I don't want to say too much, um, but it all ends. Ended very uh, cataclysmically, which it seems to be the theme, or the way things go in DCC. Uh, everything's kind of larger than life. I'm not sure if we managed to get to the second level, uh, but we did survive. Although my character is now on like one luck, <laughs> one luck point. You know, on a you know, if you imagine where well, you're rolling three three d six right for stats. So it's a three to eighteen scale, and I'm down to one. So the character, terrible things will always happen to him first. Uh, so his days are very much numbered, and having a low luck isn't ideal uh, for a spellcaster, or for anyone really. But uh, system, well, these past sessions have been have been um, first level adventures and as such our characters are able to do much more they're able to cast spells um, the criticals that they score are much more uh, impressive so you use higher dice to roll on critical tables and you use different critical tables so, and the criticals typically being you know um, stuns and, and uh, extra damage and stuff at, at our level but sometimes there are things that, you know, uh, incapacitate a, um, a limb and so on Again, you know, the crits are pretty much, you know, 5% for everybody, a fair is that, is that right? Mm, I think so uh, So, D&D crits, I don't know, you know um, They're fun, but they're, they're nothing special, right? Because everybody, it's all equal, everybody's the same except that in dcc of course you do get that uh more powerful critical effects and better tables um based on your class if you're a martial class so we got to use those tables um we had a um a wizard and a a cleric so we're we're doing spell casting spell casting is uh, very interesting because you can spell burn so you can you know overcast spells um if you uh i don't know how the wizard works again actually to be honest i forget but you you, you if you lose slots or whatever uh, in my case i'm a cleric i i can remember certain spells and i can cast them as many times as i like uh, however if i fail to invoke my deity to cast the spell there's this chance that um that uh, a growing chance that you'll upset the deity by casting a spell. It's kind of like a fumble. The chance of fumbling and upsetting the deity increases, and when you upset the deity, then you've got to roll on some uh, on a table using your luck, which I have none, to modify it. And some of the worst tables, you know, for spell fumbles or um, disapproval de- uh, from a deity, uh, result in quite uh, terrible things happening to you, uh, including death uh, of yourself and sometimes your companions so there's that, again there's that uh, swingy craziness that goes in there, so yeah you can cast spells as much as you like but they come with a price Uh, they do come with a price Um, there's things like corruption as well for wizards I believe you've got to be very careful and that is um, fun I suppose yeah it's certainly a, a, a difference from the typical Vansian magic system where you, you know, you memorize a spell and you cast it and you forget it. Um, or the 5 u equivalent, which isn't that much different, where you've got slots and you... Which is very little, very little difference between a slot and a spell point, as far as I can tell. Um, I'm going to... Let's see, I'm coming down the main road now, so I might have to stop here. Or perhaps I should just double back and go the way I came. And i double back and go the way I came. Otherwise you'll not hear me. Uh, another main road here. This one, Oh hey. Yeah. <laughs> this one uh, leads... Well, joins the part of town where I live. Part of Kyoto where I live. Which is on the eastern side. And it goes through... If you carry on forward, it goes onto the uh, highway, which you have to pay a toll for. It goes through the mountain and joins up on the other side of the. Goes through a tunnel, joins up on the other side of the mountains, leads into the main part of Kyoto, and then down south, turns south down to, to uh, Osaka. There we go. That should be a little bit quieter now. How's that? Um, on my right, there's some. Rice paddies. There's a couple of ducks on the on the verge of the rice paddy, which is the ideal position for them. The rice paddies are now flooded, so they must have closed the sluices uh, in preparation for planting. Uh, and the top one up there is actually planted, so they've already done that. So this bottom one here will be is either planted and the seeds haven't come up yet, or the, it's waiting to be planted. As it's May, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. I think actually, what they do is they don 't plant the seeds they yeah, they plant the shoots. what am I saying? They plant the shoots, so yeah you 'll see it as immediate, immediately as it 's planted you 'll see the green shoot, so it 's waiting for the machine to to plant these shoots into the into the soft mud, and that takes me away from the topics um, but I think i 've said most of what I want to say about d c c uh, is it a good system? Would I play it again? Yeah, I definitely played again. Um, there's a lot there that I've, we haven't tapped into, which is always the case uh, when you're when you're taking a uh, a brief look at a game. You're never going to get into the the, the nitty gritty, um, which where the where the game, you know, the the exciting parts of the rules hide, um, and you never see where the where the rules become problems or where where apparent problems are actually solved there's a, what they called cormorant um, diving river bird uh, seabird too but uh, here is a river variety and they use those um, they still use them occasionally just for tourism, for hunting they attach a rope around their necks have them hunt for fish dive for fish and then because there's a rope around their necks the poor little things they're able to regurgitate these fish up before they go into the stomach, and uh, yeah, you've got there. You go. Interesting type of fishing, but uh, yeah, these these ones are wild. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, that is all I have to say about DCC, except to thank all the players and Tristan for organising yet another amazing session, and I think that brings us on to on to. Warhammer. Oh, Warhammer, 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 fancy roleplay. We had our latest session on Saturday, just the the day before, the evening before my Dungeons and Dragons session that I run. Now Tristan again is running Warhammer fancy roleplay. Um, very busy man. And and uh, I don't have a lot to say. We're playing the Shadows over Bogenhafen, part of the Enemy Weaving campaign. Uh, as I've probably said before this is a campaign that I ran uh, back in the day for first edition. have my fancy roleplay. And we're currently playing it in the fourth edition of that game. Um, um, people have said a lot of things, you hear a lot of things about uh, fourth edition, about it being very difficult to manage the advantage system um, where you get success levels of advantage whether you fail or succeed over your opponent so you get these grades of uh, success Um, but to be honest uh, I haven't noticed any problems with it I haven't found it unwieldy I think the players perhaps all remember enough about whether they Succeed in the last combat or not, to know whether they um, have a, some, some kind of advantage or if something comes into account, it should be taken into account, and that 's what it should always come down to, right it shouldn 't be down to the GM remembering um, oh, you you have a, a minus for this or a plus for that because you're fighting multiple opponents or because blah 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 um, yeah it, so it does it does have a lot more going on in terms of rules and and conditions than first edition certainly Um, and the character development is much more complicated but it's not a broken game and it runs very well Um, and I suppose a lot of people probably appreciate the extra levels of um, uh, extra level yeah words words are failing me the extra level ability of, for for players to customize their their characters through experience for example um onto the game uh it was fun <laughs> fantastic update uh, really fun um so we're in a city things are happening there's a um We were told to go and follow a mutant goblin that had escaped from a carnival. The poor goblin was being treated as a carnival freak because he's got a a third leg and is in fact a chaos mutant. Um, All sorts of problems abound in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay if you wish to find them. Um, Now, we went off to try and capture the mutant but unfortunately discovered it had been eaten by a demon in the sewers. Now uh, we all cacked our pants. That's a very British term. That means we all panicked uh, in fear, except for um the youngest character uh, in, in the group who actually kept his cool. The rest of us were forced to oh there's my wife running. Hey, yeah, see ya. <laughs> there's my wife jogging. So in the opposite direction. Um <coughs> Uh, so yes, yes, that's one of the, the fun things about um, the game. Which I'm going to take a different path because it's all lots of the young kids down here, are gonna be a bit too much noise. Uh, one of the interesting things about the game is that uh, you do have um, situations where you're unable to act because of fear um, or, or things um, in your psychology that. Uh, mean you you tend to act in a certain way occasionally so yeah you, you can't just bluster in as you would in a dnd game which is really quite an important point and one of the ways in which it different differs from that game from traditional fantasy role-playing games so uh, what well, am I my fancy roleplay yes we were under we, so we got this dead goblin now the watch have told us that the goblin was killed found in a warehouse and was killed by uh, by a a watchman or, or a, a guard in, in, in this warehouse which is complete rubbish because we actually had the the, uh, the three socketed um, three socketed pelvis of this goblin now we've cleared out as soon as we've discovered this demon by the way you know I glossed over that and Run, you know, done a run as quick as we could and got out of the, out of the uh, sewers. But then, yeah, we get this uh, find out from the circus owner that the, this goblin was apparently found by the watch. So we go to the watch, and decide to keep it quiet that we found the pelvis, uh, at least from the watch, and we give it secretly to the uh, to the circus owner. As it's become clear, there's some kind of cover up. There's something going on. The watch and the warehouse people are claiming this, so we we actually went off to talk to the warehouse and, and still pretending ignorance about the goblin's fate. We we, uh, we uh, interviewed the the um, the guard of the warehouse who had claimed to have killed it, and and you know he's obviously talking complete nonsense, but uh, very convincing, probably convinced himself. Um, So yeah, our questions led us around the city and it's a very open affair, isn't it? When you've got the city space and you have a a mystery that the players are going to wander around and follow different avenues of investigation. Um, We also went to a library, uh, which was also a, a temple of Veruna in both jobs. Um, back up to the road again here. Lots of cars. I have to wait my turn to cross, I think. Um, we got some information about the, the merchant houses. And there's something, definitely... The, the merchants have a lot of power in this city. Uh, they, they ha- there are some connections with the, with the uh, aristocracy as well. But there's definitely something going on with one of the, one or two of the merchant families. Uh, maybe some kind of power struggle. And because of the demon, naturally, we suspect that um, this power struggle has has um, turned into an, an occult um, power race, um, arms race, if you will. No, um, the occult doesn't exist in in many <laughs> for the common person, the, the, the normal people of the old world in the Warhammer fantasy roleplay setting do not talk about mutations and chaos and, and demons and such like this um, because to do so uh, well it's, it's either considered superstition by those who aren't aware of what's really happening in the world or it, it suggests that they have some connection to those events and um, nefarious goings on which may attract unwanted attention from Imperial officials and witch hunters so we actually found ourselves um, we have we found ourselves uh, coming up head to head with um, a witch hunter because um, all of this starts with a case of mistaken identity and it looks like one of the characters who, who is the uh, subject of this mistaken identity um, or one of the subjects, the, the living subject of the mistaken identity, has been um, mistakenly identified as a possibly a chaos cultist. Whether that's true or not, we don't know. But not, so now we are <laughs> being treated, or the, the party member with, with us, is being treated as this um, chaos cultist. And so there was a trap laid for us when we tried to um, claim uh, an inheritance which is, you know, morally uh, probably not the most moral thing you could do uh, uh, claiming a a dead man's inheritance because you look like him Um, but it seems to have been uh, all made up and and a part of a trap an elaborate trap to ensnare us um, as cultists and to bring us to justice even though we're not cultists so it's all getting very complicated and uh, Shakespearean um I'm sure I've missed out a great deal Uh, if you have not I've probably spoiled a lot of the adventure Um, maybe I should uh, put a spoiler up in front Uh, regardless uh, fantastic uh, adventure Um, I think we went off the rails which is fine Um, because there's a lot going on in the city and you're able to go off the rails to a certain degree, I don't know how far we can go off (coughs) Uh, and uh, yeah, really looking forward to the next session. So, I can't remember. I can't remember if there's anything else I wanted to share with that about that, except um, it was a great session. Uh, we unfortunately lost one of the members of our group a few weeks ago, who you know left the, left the group. Um, they're still with us, however, uh, with my group, my uh, my um, old school essentials group. So that's great. But we do have uh two new players um playing with us. So that's um it's 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 good, you know. Not too many players. Um there's a lot of role-playing going on. Um so it it's one of the strong points of why I'm a fancy roleplayer is that that um hmm, it's not so much your character character ability that's important um, there is a lot of action this is definitely but much of what's going on is um, is about colour and background and what your character is doing in the setting and how they're navigating through a lot of the social problems uh, those social problems and social norms so you, you can't just simply you know um, you, you can't simply kind of cut, cut, hack and slash your way through problems. Um, uh, most of the adventures are urban affairs, and you have to watch the law. <laughs> keep an eye out for the law. You got to keep an eye out for people backstabbing you. Um, trying not to get mixed up with in or upset the wrong people. And it's a it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. And it, but what. I'd like to sort of emphasize is how neatly it dovetails with other role-playing games. um, You can play D&D one session and then you can play Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay in another session and the two will be completely different even though they're both fancy role-playing games. And this is because... They are focusing on. They have a different focus. The rules are focused in different er, uh, directions. Uh, they highlight different things, and and the, the, I guess the. Some of some of the enjoyment that you draw for. You um, get from those games, draw from those games. Uh, some of it will be you know overlap, but other other areas they're, they're very specific to that. Get to that game, so your dungeon crawl D D game has a very specific kind of uh, enjoyment and fun involved with it. That's the wind blowing into the mic again. Sorry about that. Uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, on the other hand, uh, like DCC, you have this sense of corruption. So my character, only seventeen, he's been moving up quite fast in his career uh, from a bandit. He's he's a uh, actually a judicial champion. You know, he's one of these sort of um, trial-by-combat um, hired hands, uh, uh, retainers. Uh, by luck and uh, chance, he fell into that position in adventure. Um, but his... His... Uh, his um, uh, what can I say? His, his actions and his exposure, that's the word, his exposure to and to uh, d- demons and so on has gradually um, left him with corruption because just just seeing um, some kind of uh, some kind of summoning or ritual and seeing demons appear and things like this it, it, it uh, leaves you with corruption, leaves you scarred and um, with a certain le- level of impurity if you like it's a mixture of insanity rules and and, uh, and mutation kind of rolled into one really so that you your character will uh, once it hits the threshold and I'm two points away from it once it hits the threshold you've got to roll I think it's willpower to resist uh, corruption um, and if you if you fail I think the corruption goes down a little bit not sure if it resets. I think it goes down a little bit, but you, you have to roll on the corruption table, so you get some kind of mental or physical corruption, which can translate as you know, in modern language, some kind of a mental uh, disorder, or illness, or some kind of mental power, or some kind of physical difference, a, de- a deformation or m- mutation. Um, now, these these differences, these, these changes, can be quite de- de- dis- debilitating. I'm fighting to speak. Debilitating. Um, they can also be very advantageous. However, even an advantageous one, uh, many of the physical ones are very advantageous, but if they are physically obvious, then you're in trouble. So, if, if, a, if a mutation is um, physically obvious uh, uh, physically obvious it would have to be obvious if it's physical no, no it doesn't, I mean it can be physical and yet remain uh, unseen uh, but if it's, it can't be kept uh, from other people or if it's somehow discovered you will then find yourself being hunted down and possibly your friends too um, because you'll be hunted down as a chaos mutant um, and that's a terrible world That people live in, Um, and gradually, yeah, I mean, the chaos. um, I think you can you can balance that out, so you can be mutated and still remain uh, an effective uh, force for good, or at least not a slave of darkness, chaos. But it's a you know it's a it's a tricky, uh, slippy slope, a tricky road, a slippy slope. That's me coming to the end of my. My talk And my road uh, It's still still not too Noisy yet But it will be oh, um, Lots of gaming going on Thank you for listening to This update Okay next up we have Call-ins from Daniel of Bandit's Keep And after that I believe we have John of Red Dice Diaries, and then Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Okay, take it away, Daniel.
1: Hey, Daniel. Bands keep calling in. Oh, I'm in a lot of noisy place here, sorry. Uh, so, just I just started listening to your call-in episode, but I think you make a really good point um, about the community, and that's really why I'm on Anchor. You know, I actually hardly listen to any podcasts until this point, I wasn't really a podcast listener, if you will, but now I listen to you a bunch of people, including you, regularly, and I, I like that it feels like we are a bunch of people that just love a hobby or a game, or whatever you want to call it, and are just kind of having this conversation uh, in a very loose way. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Anchor and, and I'm glad that I stumbled upon it. Um, and uh, now I will continue to listen to your episode. So, really interesting conversation going on with uh, you and Jason about the giving the players the spotlight or not, or however that works. That can be really tricky. But I also think it's okay to not. I mean, depending on the group you're playing with, like when I run convention games, I'm really on the ball to make sure that everybody's constantly being asked, what are you doing? What are you doing? But when I play with my regular group, I know that sometimes a player will sit back and let things happen because they just they just want to do that. Like They feel like their character would do that. So, I guess the more you know your group, the more you can kind of be okay with that. Kind of just leaving them there, because they'll eventually say something. At least that's been my experience. I'm not sure that you need to be over the top with the clues for monsters. I think something subtle is fine. But, you know, again, you need to know your players, I guess. Uh, Like, in the case of the harpies, what I probably might do is have the soft music, but even, you know, especially if I'm playing with a group that I know, I'll know that one of the player characters has like a low wisdom or is uh, more susceptible to that kind of stuff. Maybe whenever they're in the tavern, they're looking for pretty girls. And what I'll do is I'll have that player feel drawn to the music. N- not that they have to do it. Not that they didn't make a saving throw, but something to the effect of you hear this music and, and you know the barbarian is really drawn to it. And that will tell them, okay, there's something up. Why is the barbarian drawn to the music? And, and I think that will be enough of a signal if you really want to throw it out there.
0: I think that's the thing isn't it? I mean sometimes you've got people who just want to sit back and they they're happy to chip in when you know something uh, appeals to them and other times they they they're happy to listen to other people and um as a GM I suppose it's quite difficult to always know when somebody's having difficulty um finding a finding space to to enter into the game and when they're, when, when they're just honestly, you know, chilling, chilling out and, and uh, having a good time, but uh, not necessarily very vocal about it. And uh, typically, I suppose every group is going to be a combination of different characters, typically. Um, but it, it often is, you know, the case where people w- will be of different characters and, you know, with luck, their characters um, complement each other um and um uh, yeah and also with experience after playing with each other and uh, and um becoming you know listening to each other's uh, interests and needs, I think people then perhaps are able to sort of riff off each other a little bit more naturally um and and hopefully prompt each other as well, well, so I really like the way that you suggest. Um, using character history and um, yeah, the characterization of each PC uh, to link this uh, foreshadowing to you know without having to resort to any kind of me- mechanisms um, or anything like that, you just you just give them based on their background or based on their class. You just give them little hints and things that would uh, appeal. To that person, and and make them sort of sit up and think, mm, what's going on here, and and then uh, of course you're not giving the game away, but you are, cluing them in, um, possibly in in a way that is. Uh, uh, f- sort of further enhances the game and the sense of uh, reality of these little characters that they've been creating.
1: Hey there, Robert, it's John here from the Red Eye Stories, just listening to your latest episode, very much enjoying it. I don't have anything profound to say, unfortunately. I just sort of ring up and say that your idea of the insect sage, when you're talking about, you know, these titans are leaving things behind for them to find, all I could think about was the Wambles of Wimbledon, to be perfectly honest, you know, things that the everyday folk leave behind and sort of picking them up and using them and using the sort of salvage of the races to like, make their lives better and sort of improve themselves which I thought was a really interesting idea and as with other people have said I'd love to hear more about this idea as it develops anyway that's all I've got to say really enjoy the episode dude keep up the good work and I'll
0: catch you soon thank you John for those uh, who might not know who the Wombles are they were these stop-motion um, characters from a children's story back in the, maybe the 70s, late 70s, uh, early 80s. Kind of like puppets, yeah, stop motion. And they, uh, it's really difficult to describe, they're kind of these small furry creatures, a little bit like Ewoks, but with with pointy kind of snouts and little black noses. And they would wander around Wimbledon Common, which is a a piece of common land or a a park, if you like, outside of uh, London. i'd pick up all the rubbish and use that rubbish to well you know to um, fix their house and make things useful objects out of and the idea it got tied into the keep britain tidy campaign if i remember right which was this campaign obviously to keep britain tidy was it was you know to raise awareness that um people were dumping rubbish um damaging the but damaging the local environment and uh, and not throwing things away properly. So that's what that is about. So, yeah, um, who knows? Maybe that was uh in my uh, subconscious when I when I came up with the, the idea. Hey,
2: Jason here. Listen to your latest calling podcast on the way to work. In fact, I'm still on the way to work, and wanted to give you a call. So sorry about the road noise. And sorry, I'm not going to be able to reference anything while I'm driving. When you talk about the Insect Sage, in some ways, it's similar but different from a character called Bug in Jack Kirby's The New Gods. Jack Kirby was an American comic book artist and writer, mainly known these days for his hand in creating a lot of the early Marvel characters. But he did a lot of other things. And one of the things he did... In fact, this new Eternals movie coming out—he, you know, the Eternals were Jack Kirby's creation. He wrote and drew them originally, but the New Gods he did for DC, Marvel's competitor in the comic book industry. And in the New Gods storyline, effectively, it starts off with Ragnarok, the old gods, which are you know nominally your Norse gods, right? But the, the old gods have Ragnarok. Dist- the world's destroyed, and then when the world's recreated, you have two worlds: New Genesis and Apocalypse. New Genesis, where the good gods live, the good new gods live, and Apocalypse, where the bad new gods live, right? And they're at war with each other. Okay, but New Genesis, not everything is perfect. So the gods on New Genesis live in a in a city that floats above the planet, and down on the planet you have the bugs. Which aren't, in this case, actual insects, but they're humans roughly the same size as the new gods, but they're treated as insects by the new gods because, you know, they're not as powerful and they're not gods, right? They're they're just mortals. But these bugs will raid the new guys' supplies to get food to survive, and they have the whole this whole hive structure, and it, it, you know it's really interesting. But but again, even you know even on this idyllic world of New Genesis, you still have the downcast and, and the downtrodden and the people that aren't considered you know equal, right? And it kind of grounds it. So so it's really interesting part of the story, but. Yeah, when you're talking about the Insect Sage and and the idea of, you know, stealing the scraps from the Titans, it it just made me think of of Jack Kirby's New Gods and and the character of Bug and and his people. So I wanted to throw that out there, which is probably of interest, but no way but me. But anyhow, great show. Talk to you soon. Looking forward to your recaps.
0: No, that's really interesting, Jason. I think um, one of the good things about this. Uh, format, the anchor format, is that we can share information, you know, we can share the, those little uh, nuggets of of, uh, of learning or experience or whatever, you know, interests, niches that uh, to us may, you know, be very, very familiar uh, and uh, all too obvious perhaps, but to other people, you know, maybe not so. I've never... I've, I have heard of Kirby... Um, and I'm aware that he's a, a comic artist, but I really don't know uh, enough, I suppose, about um, comic books. And uh, I certainly haven't heard of the New Gods. So that's all very interesting. Um, maybe you could you could uh, do something about uh, comics on your podcast for us. <laughs> anyway, thanks very much for that, Jason. So, since recording the last game updates, um, time has passed, and so i've been able to add some further updates this time for old school essentials and you know i've added it to this side of the episode just to kind of balance things out a little so um what happened? well, as you may recall, if you listened to the uh, previous update of uh, the play the characters had been in the biggest town in the area city of you like, a small city a place called iron guard mot which is the center of the duchy of eric and uh, they had got well they had um visited a sage and gotten some information regarding uh, a scroll of holy writing you know And also they had met a character, uh, an insect who was also a sage uh, and was visiting this human sage to learn more about uh, human culture and customs. And uh, after that session, which is the previous session, they had ridden back to the village of Helix, which is where the Barrow Maze campaign is set. Now, um, I was... You know, I'd been told that there was probably going to be a few, um, a few people late, and also some people not turning up. But as it was, we actually had a pretty good turnout. We had six people, so everybody. Um, unfortunately, um, one one person couldn't attend, but uh, um, hopefully they'll be able to make it again soon. But six is, you know, it's a very uh, very good turnout. So what did they do? Well, um, after buying some. Uh, <laughs> some I just remember, sorry. After buying some uh, equipment, some uh, supplies, they decided to go into the blackened forest to help the insect sage return to his home. And and uh, they had also picked up a a new one of the characters had picked up a new uh man at arms henchman. Um, and the man-at-arms had been equipped in plate mail And uh, was all ready for combat So a total of, mm, let's see, uh, well, eight eight um, humans and demi-humans If we include the NPC men-at-arms, women-at-arms as well And one war dog uh, set off into, not f- and not to forget one insect sage Set off into the forest and uh, on the way there, they uh, had a brief encounter with an ogre. It was quite interesting because the ogre wasn't immediately uh, aggressive and nor were the party. And um, the ogre was actually carrying a sack um, of gold pieces and some food and decided that it didn't want to have risk a, a confrontation with such a large party. So he started sort of loping off into the forest all uh, S- Sasquatch-like, but the party were actually heading in the same direction. So as they came up behind him, he um, became quite uh, aggravated and nervous and turned round and started to try and uh, scare them off. This did not work, however, and so unfortunately, a melee broke out. Now, um, the party... You know, um, there's a large number of people, so they're all getting, shoot, taking shots, um, firing some arrows here and uh, swinging a sword there. And it was quite a uh, close combat in some ways. The ogre's first um, attack actually connected um, and it hit the man-at-arms, the new man-at-arms, and unfortunately it did a uh, whole ten points of damage in one swing. So the, the man-at-arms was knocked into uh, into oblivion and uh, um, sent crashing into the trees. So his, his um, career with the party, unfortunately, was very, very brief indeed. But the rest of the party were quite lucky. In fact, one of the uh, character PCs, um, a knight, a female knight, Um, narrowly escaped a similar fate after she was struck by the struck by the uh, ogre Um, but luckily the player had upgraded to plate and shield uh, in the previous adventure which meant that the ogre just missed by one point Um, ogres do 1d10 of uh, points of damage so you know for when when your characters have an average of four five hit points uh, every 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 uh, piece of armor, every little thing really does help, so the party continued on and um, after dropping off the insect sage in his home, which is a little hole in an oak and a tree, of course, he gave them directions to a place of legend, a strange eldritch uh, hole in the ground beneath a blasted oak uh, this of course is a was a a gateway, uh, a segue into uh, Gavin Norman's Hole in the Oak adventure for Old School Essentials, which I decided to drop into the Barrow Maze campaign. And, um, yeah, they they investigated the uh, hole and decided to go down. So we've actually started that adventure. And, um, yeah, right from the get-go, it was kind of seamlessly blended into the... um, the simple kind of overland adventure. There was no um, description or background to be read out. Just a few words of, uh, of uh, caution from our insect sage. And a few pieces of um, knowledge which may or may not be true or partially true. And he, uh, yeah, off they went down into this hole. Now, I won't give away too much about the uh, adventure. And where, where I do, I'll try and keep it very... Um, <laughs> um, very fractured and min- minimalist so as not to give away too much but um, what really occurred to me as they were going down and exploring this this environment which is essentially um, a dungeon crawl through the earth and you've got the walls with all these um, um, roots from the trees and that kind of keeping the integrity stru- structural role Excuse me. Structural integrity of the of the tunnel, tunnels. Um, what really it felt like was um, getting back into a fighting fantasy game book. You know, just like in my uh, childhood. And I was just getting these really strong flashes of um, hmm, nostalgia. Not exactly nostalgia, but, uh, but really sort of uh, moments of like this is quintessential. Uh, fantasy role playing you know, I'd get real big flashes of that Um, and one of the things was like, so you go through these these tunnels and it's got this strong flavour, you know, these roots and that and they're climbing over the roots and there's um, there's random objects here and there, you know, which may be of uh, value or import so the characters are like looking over them and picking them up and you know, checking to make sure there's Nothing strange about them or, or dangerous about them and and then, and then they 'll go into another area and then there 'll be something slightly different about it you know this this room might be um, paved with cobblestones, or it might have um, stone blocks and there 's rooms of very strange um, things happening uh, teleportation, what appears to be teleportation um, Points and there's another room they discovered had these bottles with these little miniature, one inch tall, human beings that clearly dead and and placed inside these jars, and the whole thing is is not exactly um, natural, and that's kind of the point. Um, So it, it plays on this idea of the mythic underworld, and and so instead of having a very clear sort of logic. Uh, and very or, or reality um it, it it's kind of dreamlike and strange and odd um the way the way we describe the the rooms and the the areas and we move through them is very very structured um and that's another point i'd like to pick up about the the structure of old school essentials but but um But the the elements that are dropped in are very strange and dreamlike. And that's this kind of combination of the two works really, really well together. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the session. And again, it's a nice break um, in Barrow Maze. While I think the guys really want to get back to exploring the Barrow Maze, and I know we're getting a little bit closer to the actual maze rather than just the Barrow Mounds, these these little um, other elements that they can choose to explore freely um, um, seems to seems to be working. It seems to be giving them a sense of uh, of freedom and uh, the idea that they are exploring this world of the imagination. Uh, it's not simply a story that I'm reading out to them. Um, yes, so the other point as I've mentioned is this idea of structure of the game. So for those who are not familiar with Old School Essentials, it, it is basically a, a D&D 1981, uh, a, what we call basic and expert D&D, and it has these uh, very sh- clearly structured um, sequences, um, um, procedures, that's the word I'm looking for, procedures numbered in order of how you explore a dungeon, how you explore a wilderness um, area, uh, the amount of um, distances involved, the kind of um, scale that we're going to be using. Also the, 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 the scale of time that we'll be using when we're doing these, we go through these certain areas. So you've got typically your wilderness and you've got dungeon and then you have combat and they all operate according to slightly different procedures. In slightly different uh, time frames and using different scales of movement, and this may seem very artificial. Well, it is. It's a game, um, but but when you sit down and you get used to using these structures and you, you carefully work through the structure, through the procedure, you follow it. After a while, it becomes quite familiar to everybody. And you're going through it at an increasingly um, fast pace, so that it stops being this kind of artificial um, artificial process, and instead it, it becomes a clear change of pace. It's sort of like um we're going from one one part of a song or one part of a piece of music to another, and we, and we know what's coming up. Uh, and we 're able to switch to that new uh, little procedure um, and and use the use the rules there and we everybody knows what the rules are or, or they 're learning what the rules are and they 're getting used to that that change of structure uh, until it seems to almost fall away because it becomes second nature and that 's where we are at the moment and i 'm really starting to Quite enjoy it. I'm quite really starting to appreciate it. Um, and I think that's all I have to say on that for now. Um, but there'll be more, you know, about the Barrow Maze game and there will be more about old school essentials. But, um, yep, thumbs up there. Uh, not only for old school essentials, the rules, but also for the, the adventure, uh, hole, hole in the oak. I'm sure it's going to be very, very challenging, uh, in places, but. Wow. Uh, for um, Atmosphere, it, it gets, uh, you know, uh, five stars out of ten straight off, you know, I uh, just totally, totally enjoying it. And I think the players, the players are enjoying it too. And we've only just done a few rooms. We've only done a, a short exploration of it. There you go. Well, that went way over time. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. I'm going to stop here. Until next time, take care.